Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, good morning. Welcome to Faith Bible Church, adult Christian education class. Uh, we're continuing our study of the uh, minor prophets in here. Upstairs, uh, Andrew Walden is teaching a cl another class on the home, God's uh, purpose for the family. But in here, uh, we're doing the minor prophets. This is week five. Uh, first week, Dan Gedock brought us an overview, if you remember that. And uh, then the second week, Bryce brought Jonah. And uh, week, uh, what, three was uh, Jimmy Snap, Amos. And last week, we had Mark Wickersham, Wick. He brought Hosea. And we're, we're doing these kind of in chronological order, which will bring us to Micah. But as, as you probably know, in the Hebrew Bible, you know, these, the prophetic writings from uh, Hosea to Malachi were known, just simply known as the Book of the Twelve. And Micah, as you look in your copy of God's Word, is the sixth Book of the Twelve. So that's where we'll be turning today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn there. We'll stay in Micah. You'll follow along. Uh, there's, there's only. Uh, well, let me ask this: why, why do we call him a minor prophet? I know you know. I know Cheryl answered this last time when Dan, Dan asked that. They were under the age of eighteen. <laughs> no, and, they, and, they, and they don't work underground either. So. Okay, he's a minor prophet just simply because of the length of the message, not because of the significance of the message, uh, the importance of it, but just the length. Uh, for instance. Micah is preaching the same time that Isaiah is. The same time, same place, basic same message. Isaiah's got 66 chapters. Micah's got seven chapters. And uh, even though it's only seven chapters, we won't necessarily read. I'm not going to read through, even though it only takes about 15 to 20 minutes just for an easy read through Micah. We will, however, uh, hopefully cover enough that we'll receive the message that God wants to give us this morning. Okay? Okay, now, if you guys that read the Bible, you know there's uh, some other people in the name. There's more than one person named Micah in the Bible. So, don't get confused. There's a Micah in Judges 17. Anybody remember that this Micah, anything about him? He was, he was up in uh, Ephraim. He, so there's a, some kind of deal about him and his mom and a hundred pieces of silver or a thousand pieces of silver. And you know, his mom took 300 pieces of silver and made an idol. And this Micah set up a, a shrine in his house and ordained as one of his sons to be a priest. And a, as time went on, a, a, an actual Levite came to visit him and Micah took him into his house to be a priest as well. Remember, this is the time of Judges. It's before our time. And that's when everybody kind of did what was right in their own eyes. And then there's another, there's a prophet with a similar name, just a longer form of the name, named Micaiah. Do you recall Micaiah? He wasn't too, he wasn't too far before uh, our, our Micah. He was uh, during the uh, divided kingdom. He preached up north, well, don't really have a record of him preaching, but what it was was when Ahab, remember Ahab, not the Arab, Ahab, he was, he was a king in Israel in the northern kingdom, 
He wasn't a very good guy, but he made an alliance with Jehoshaphat, who was king of the southern kingdom at the time, and they were going to go to war against the foreign enemies. And Jehoshaphat said, hey, shouldn't you inquire of the prophets? And they, so the prophets up there said, oh, yeah, yeah, go to war. And Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God that you can inquire of? And remember what Ahab said? He said, yeah, there's this uh, Micaiah, but he always preaches against me. <laughs> he says bad things. And they inquired of him, and yes, he did say what was going to happen to Ahab, and Ahab went into battle and died. <laughs> but that's not who we're talking about. Uh, we're in the book of Micah, and uh, before we get started, uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started on our lesson. Father God, Yahweh, creator of all that is seen and unseen, we gather in your name to learn from you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to walk in your ways. May you draw us near to yourself that we may see you high and lifted up. We ask that this be a time of blessing for you and your people. We give thanks for our local fellowship here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, may you guard our leaders. We thank you for our, our elders and deacons. and Protect them, Lord, from error and give them wisdom as they shepherd your people with joy. We pray for those in our midst who are struggling, either uh, physical infirmities or spiritual or emotional issues or broken relationships and those that feel a sense of loss. Uh, maybe they lost income or purpose or lost a loved one. ask you to comfort them. Help us be attentive to the needs of others and hear our prayer. Oh God, as we join our voices together and pray the words that you taught us to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, with, uh, with that, hopefully I do have an outline. Hopefully I won't just sit here and read it. I'll, I'll do one of two things. I'll either read it or I'll ignore it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll 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 follow a logical sequence here, but just to get uh, oriented to where we're at, uh, this is the time of the divided kingdom. Remember, uh, around 250 BC, uh, God led the 12 tribes of Israel into the land that they're, they're possessing now. Yeah, we know as Israel. God uh, called Israel to be a light unto the nations, one set apart. They were to represent God by how they lived in justice, love, and worship. And then uh, around 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. And that's all this map is showing. You've got Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And I can't see that, but the Jerusalem is the capital city in Judah. And Samaria, I don't even think it's on this map. But it's uh, the capital city in the northern kingdom. Here's a, another map. I don't know if you can read that or not either. But that's, that's just showing where the prophets uh, are and uh, who, they're, who they're preaching to. Now, uh, the northern and southern kingdoms, 
you know, they've been disobeying God and going their own way. Uh, they've subverted justice. They lack compassion, committed spiritual adultery by worshiping idols. And so God is using his prophets, and Dan did this in an introduction, to warn people of the judgment against their sin. Uh, on this map, I don't know, just there, there's some area in the north, and I can't, I'm not very good at this, in Jerusalem in the south, and there's only about 50 miles between the two. It's kind of like from Evansville to, Vin, to uh, Vincennes. Uh, you'd see Jonah in the north there, uh, and we know that he uh, fled and ended up going over up, up in uh, Assyria and preaching. And let's see, who do we have next? We had, uh, had Amos, didn't we? Where's he at? Oh, there he is. He's from Tekia. He was a shepherd, but he actually uh, prophesied, preached in the north. And last week we had uh, Hosea. It's got about him there, and he was in the north. Uh, today we're going to be down here. You see it says Morsheth Gath. Uh, Gath is, uh, and Morsheth, you'll see, is where Micah's at. And he's preaching in, in Jerusalem and in the south. Um, as previously mentioned, uh, the northern southern kingdoms, like they said, they split centuries before and have been violating uh, God's covenant. So, like I said, it's kind of like a courtroom. God brings his charges against them and warns of his judgment to come because of their unfaithfulness. And that's going to include uh, what we know about the uh, Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom and the taking and fall of Samaria and uh, the conquest of the southern kingdom. And then 120 years or so after Micah's time, He's going to talk about this, the capture of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. But Micah, the great thing about Micah that we, you may not have seen too much of in the previous, um, what do you call these guys? Prophets. <laughs> is, uh, is hope. Micah has hope. Uh, and restoration not only for Israel, for, for people of all nations. Now, he's going to talk about the remnant and people of Israel, but it's for all nations, and the hope, and our hope, is only in the mercy of God. So Micah lays this out uh, in three discourses throughout the seven chapters. Uh, each discourse includes God's exacting judgment, sin, and hope, and he foretold six events that we've seen take place. Now, uh, prophets, prophets don't always just Tell the, tell the future. That's not what they're about. They speak God's word. It's they do, just like our preachers today. They're bringing forth, uh, speaking God's word. But God did give him a, a vision. He saw what was to come. And so he, some of these things happened actually during Micah's lifetime. And some were after his lifetime. And we've seen uh, six things come true that he's going to talk about. Um, the uh, first, if I figure out where I'm at, oh, the destruction of Samaria. Second, Snacrib's attempt to take Jerusalem. He doesn't take it. And then, uh, after Micah's time, we saw the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. And fourth, the exile into Babylon. Fifth, the return from Babylon after 70 years, right? And 
one thing that Mike is going to do is he's going to talk about the birth of Christ. He's going to tell us where the Messiah is going to be born. And we've seen, he didn't get to see that, his uh, listeners didn't get to see that, but we, we've, we've seen that. Uh, we're, we're, we're on the fortunate side of things. So that's kind of the backdrop of what's going on and where we're at now at the time of Micah and the message that he brings. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Like I said, it's a short book, but I didn't outline it this way. When we did the, uh, a while back, we did the uh, Route 66, and the way it was kind of divided up then was chapters 1 through 3 was God's warning of judgment against his people. Chapters 4 through 5, God's promises uh, for the end times. In chapter 6, God's pleading with his people. In chapter 7, his amazing grace to his people. Like I said, uh, there's three discourses, and kind of divided it. The way I look at those three discourses, chapters 1 and 2, then chapters 3, 4, and 5, and then chapters 6 and 7 is how it's divided up. But, uh, like I said, those three discourses. And, and Dan, when he gave the overview of the uh, prophets, he said they all have this in common, and that each of these discourses include that. The warnings of impeding judgment, the description of the sin... Uh, a description of the coming judgment, a call for repentance, and a promise of future deliverance. And Micah, about, and and you can divide it up, equal parts is probably about a third of uh, judgment, a third describing sin, and a third presenting hope. But not necessarily in order like that. So uh, Micah also uses poetic language, He's prone to a little bit of wordplay, and for simplicity, I've decided we'll just do chapter by chapter, <laughs> so you can follow along. Like I said, we're not going to read it all, but you should be able to read it all as we follow along. Just read through Micah as we're going along, and we'll get through the whole the whole book. So, uh, let's see. We're going to start off Micah one one. Did you read that, Paul? Sure. Word of the Lord which came to Micah of Morseph in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. All right. So it's his it's uh, introduction telling us what Micah's about. Notice it says the word of the Lord. Is that important? Yes. Absolutely. It's the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord? It's the Bible. It's the Bible. Okay, we have the Bible. It's the word of the Lord, right? Uh, and notice that Lord is on in all caps here. Most of the modern translations, I, I use the ESV for m- most of all this. The word Lord is the, uh, what do they call it, the tetramagrammaton, you know, the YHWH in Hebrew, Yahweh, you know, that we pronounce in English. This is the, the creator of the heaven and earth and all, everything. Okay? Now, along with that, I want us to just... I, I want us to see this, how important it is that it's the word of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 tells us that, you know, many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And that's where we're, we're studying minor prophets right here. Like Micah. Okay? And it goes on to say, in the last days he's spoken to us by his son. He's talking about Christ. 
and the apostles received a revelation and wrote it down. So we have the Old Testament, New Testament. You answered correctly, the Bible, the Word of God. That's what we have. And keep this in mind too. Second uh, Peter one twenty one tells us that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Micah proclaims this about himself, actually, in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I'm filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. So let's keep in mind, you know, this isn't just a, a country preacher saying what he wants to say. He's bringing the word of the Lord. Okay, and he does. However, you know, he is, he is one preaching, and he will interject how this affects him. So we will see some words from Micah in there. All right, and so what we hope to accomplish uh, by going through Micah here is we want to see the continuity of Scripture all the way from Genesis, the covenant promises in Genesis, all the way through to the uh, promised kingdom, the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom in Revelation. And we'll, hopefully uh, we'll see how Micah relates to the gospel as well. And now Micah's name, does anybody know what the, his name means? Come on. I know you know. All right. Now, if you know it, just shout out. When I ask questions, you don't need to raise your hand or anything. Just shout it out. But it means, who is like the Lord? Okay. And uh, he uses that to play in words. And uh, in chapter 7, he's going to say, who is a God like you? So I don't know if that's where the meaning of his name came from, from him saying that, or if he just used to play on his name to say that. Um, like I say he's a country preacher. He's from Morsheth. It's near Gath. My, uh, Bryce mentioned Gath, uh, I think, two weeks ago, going through Samuel, as one of the places the Philistines took the ark. Remember that it was the second place they went. So you know we're we're all in the same country there. He preached during the reigns we can see there of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and that's. Jotham probably started his reign about 760 B.C. He was, uh, well, what do we know about these kings? Does anybody know anything about Jotham? Was he a good king or a bad king? Come on, you guys know more about this than I do. I'm just up here. You have a 50% chance of being yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I like Hezekiah. Yeah, okay. So Jotham, he, he, he was okay. Uh and, and when we say good king or bad king, we're not talking about politically, you know, did he have, you know, did they do good economically and have good foreign relations? In the Bible, when we're talking about good king or bad king is, did they follow the ways of the Lord or didn't they? Okay. Jotham in Second Kings uh, chapter 15 and Second Chronicles chapter 27 is where we read all about Jotham. Uh, he was 25 years old when he began his reign. He reigned for 16 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. However, he didn't remove the high places where the people sacrificed and made offerings. So he, he did, did, did right, but not, not 100%. He was king. He could have had those uh, torn down. What about Ahaz? Good or bad? Bad, 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 bad. He was probably, he was probably the worst king in uh, Judah to, up to this point. I think uh, Bryce pointed out last week Manasseh comes later. He, he, he's probably worse. 
<laughs> but up to this point, uh, Ahaz is about as bad as they get. He's in uh, 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. He was uh, 20 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned for 16 years. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. We're told that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. So I kind of said, you know, um, Micah doesn't mention the kings of Israel. He's going to talk about the leaders, uh, you know, of Israel, but he doesn't mention the kings. But all of the kings of Israel were what we considered bad. They, they did not, uh, that, you know, the separation, that was kind of the start of the separation of the divided kingdom. They didn't want, they didn't follow the ways of God uh, completely. Um, he even made metal images for the Baals. He burned his son as offering. He also subjugates himself to Assyria and adopted their pagan practices. So he was not a good king in Judah. What about Hezekiah? I heard heard something about him already. We like, like do we like Hezekiah? I like yeah. You like Hezekiah? He was probably the best king in Judah. You know, not you know the divided kingdom. Of course, David. You know, the great great king. And Solomon, and then the kingdom divided, and then it kind of went up and down. You had some good kings, bad kings, and we see that right here. Jotham's good, Ahaz, bad, and Hezekiah, good, really good. He's a he's a, he's a great king, uh, one of the best kings that ever reigned in, in Jerusalem. He was 25 when he began his reign. He reigned 29 years, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He cleansed the temple and restored temple worship because Ahaz actually had shut down the temple. Some say he even nailed the doors shut. Uh, there was, you know, the, so, you know, they weren't, weren't uh, doing what they were supposed to. Uh, Hezekiah removed the high places, something Jotham didn't do. Uh, the pillars were cut down in the Asherah. He uh, kept the commandments of the Lord commanded by Moses. And when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, invaded Judah and intended to capture Jerusalem around, it's around 701 B.C., Hezekiah prayed and cried to heaven. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down uh, some of the Assyrians in their camp. Any idea how many the angel struck down? 3,000. How many? 3,000. Three? 185,000. Yeah, yeah, we... Uh, we read about uh, Hezekiah in Second Kings chapters 18 through 20. You notice his other kings, so I only got one chapter. He get, he's got three chapters. And Second uh, Chronicles chapters 29 through 32, we read about Hezekiah. He did a lot of, a lot of neat things with, when Hezekiah's in there. And remember, this, this is the time that Micah's preaching. He probably, not, probably not from the beginning of Jotham's reign to the end of Hezekiah's reign, but in there. And Ahaz was right in the middle of it, which is why he's Micah's uh, brings this preaching. Um, where are we at? Oh, okay. And and another thing about Hezekiah, he became sick. And Isaiah, you know, said, you know, this this is going to take you. Do you remember what happened? What did the Lord do? He did, but that was a sign to Hezekiah. Made this sun go back on the steps, ten ten steps, the shadow. And that was a sign. For it was a sign that he's going to do something for Hezekiah. Do you do you remember what he did for Hezekiah? Prolonged his life. Prolonged his life. How long? Fifteen years. 
gave him 15 more years. And in that year, he gave him that bad cane. He gave him what? The bad cane that he had that child during that 15 years. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, so when it says in the days of Jotham, they had Hezekiah, king of Judah. Yes. I thought this was all of them except Jonah, but... Um, when it says that it's like the word of the Lord in the time of like multiple kings, that's uh -huh. like a span of right. like twenty some years. Yeah, it's about sixty years span there. So, like in our Bible, they're in chapters. Right. But does that mean that in that time, like parts of the prophecy were given at different times, or just in general, this was given and then? People read it multiple times, or like. Ooh, we've got three elders in here. Maybe one of those can, can give us an answer. <laughs> Which is like I should probably know that, but I've never thought about that. Right, that and, and that's why that's why we have a class and study things because we do have questions and, and, and study. The you know it's just it, you think about it. It's like yeah, he probably didn't start preaching on day one of Jotham's reign and preach all the way to the end of Hezekiah's. And some of the things that he's preaching about and against happened during these reigns as well. So did he did he talk about them before they happened or? Yeah, or it's like did chapter seven happen during Hezekiah or like? Okay, and then, and that's and that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's not really laid out like that. It's not as it's not like Jonah where it's a story and it has a sequence. These are just uh, a compilations of his preaching during these times. Now, what he preached at what time? would only be a guess i don't know if anybody really knows exactly you know we can we can presume that he talked about the destruction before it happened but we can also <coughs> see that he's preaching about some of it as it's happening mm -hmm. okay and then of course some of what he preaches is not going to happen until later because i'm trying to think of like if we like obviously we're not the israel but like if we were them like how would this have come to us well, like he, he's pre—it's like like the the same way that uh, Bryce brings us the message every week. He's preaching. Now we'll 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 see and we'll get to it. Kind of how Micah's doing this and what the people think of it. Uh, and and more, he's from Morseth, you know, as, as small, you know, in the foothills, agricultural country. So he's a country preacher, but he's probably preaching uh, in Jerusalem as well because it's the city, and he's he's bringing a message against the cities and um, he's going to use some language that has to do agricultural language in some of his descriptions of things uh, so we'll see so I, I, I don't know I probably didn't answer your question but gave you gave you something to think about okay so it's okay if we move on then yeah. okay great okay Warren can you read that <coughs> says, Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. All right. So this is how Micah begins each of his three discourses, you know, in chapter one, to hear. And so I started off, you know, hear ye, hear ye. The Lord has, has something to say here. And, and then in chapter three, verse one, he's going to call to the rulers. And in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, a word to the whole world. So we need to hear, okay? 
Their ears need to perk up, pay attention. Uh, he says the earth and all who live in it. God is sovereign over all creation. It's not just not just his people there in Israel. So everybody's going to bear witness. Um, as you can tell, at the rate we're going, there's no way we could go through at this pace. So I'm going to speed things up a little bit. I think I'm in the right place here. I'm going to read this, uh, verses 3 through 7. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten into pieces and her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them into the fee of a prostitute they shall return. And we, we saw this fulfilled, 722, 721, when, Sennach- when Assyria uh, laid waste to Samaria. city of Samaria is really not even there after this point. And like I said, as I said about his preaching, you know, as a country preacher and using agricultural terms and poetic language, you see that as an example here. I'm going to keep moving. I don't know if I moved too far. I can't see. Did I? I don't know how to back up, but that's okay. Um said said that God's going to come down and uh, enact appropriate judgment on Israel because of their idolatry. Um, where's God coming down from? In the, in the verse it said from his temple. Is God limited to his temple? If he was, he wouldn't have been able to come out during Ahaz's reign, right? Because the doors were now shut. Now God God is, is high above. above it, you know, the high places, God's got to come down to the high places. Now they uh, these high places were built because they would try to with the idea of being closer to God, closer to heaven. But God's got to come down to those places. And talking about Hezekiah, we saw that Hezekiah went up went up to the house of the Lord and prayed before the Lord enthroned between the cherubim. Hezekiah is one of the, the last king to mention uh, being in front of the ark. Of the ark being in the temple. Now Josiah mentions the ark, says that the priests need to bring the ark into the house that Solomon built, but it doesn't say it was there. At that time, the priests evidently were carrying it around because he said they wouldn't ever have to carry it anymore. But the ark, which is so uh, prevalent in uh, Israel's history and going through in Samuel, that Bryce is preaching about, it's, it, it, it disappears out of sight. We don't hear much about it after this. Now Micah's going to interject himself here. Uh, you follow along with me. Verses 8 and 9. says, For this I will lament and well. I will go stripped and naked. Make lamentation like the jackals. Okay. Who else went stripped and naked? David. Who? You? Somebody said me. 
<laughs> David danced before the ark. You got the ark on your mind. But Isaiah, three years. He's in the same place Mike is. So you got these two naked guys running around uh, Jerusalem <laughs> preaching. And so they're trying to get attention. Now, people don't really pay attention to him too much until what he says starts taking place. I answer to your question, when did he preach this? He said, that's going to happen. Well, it happened during, during his, his time. So, but he preached this ahead of time. Now, the rest of chapter 1, uh, I'm, I was going to read this, but what he does, he mentions in... Uh, kind of, I don't know what kind of language you call it. It says panoramic, a panoramic tabloid. There's 12 towns in uh, Judah that get ransacked by Assyria. And he mentions each of those towns and he uses wordplay on them. Uh, the Hebrew sounds like something and he, and he says it like, tell it not in Gath. Well, Gath evidently in Hebrew sounds like tell town. And so on and so forth. I'm not going to go through those. We're, I'm way, way behind where I should be. So we'll jump to chapter 2 here. And if you notice in verse 2a, it says, they, uh, Woe was pronounced on the leaders because of their wicked oppression. Okay? Uh, they covet fields and seize them. Okay? Mentioned Ahab er- earlier. Do you remember anything about Ahab seizing a field? Remember a guy named Naboth? Or Naboth? Had a vineyard outside the uh, capital there, and Ahab wanted it. But Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. He said, God forbid, you know, I would uh, give you the inheritance of my fathers. Jezebel had, had Naboth killed and Ahab took the field. But we're told that uh, God wouldn't bring, bring disaster in his days because Ahab repented. But here we are in Micah, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, Against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily. So even though Ahab repented, God said he wouldn't bring disaster in his days, but would bring it in his son's day. And that's where we're at. I have a quote. Sorry I didn't put this on your handout or on the slide, but a quote by Matthew Henry. Those in my small group know I like Matthew Henry. What is unjustly got by us will not long continue with us. The righteous God will remove it. Note, it is just with God that those who have dealt fraudulently with others should themselves be dealt fraudulently and violently with. The leaders are, are doing that, dealing fraudulently and violently with the people, and God's bringing in the Assyrians to, to enact justice. Uh, let's see. Okay, we jump down to verse 6. It says, Don't preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disaster will not overtake us. In Micah's day, the leaders and their pride and arrogance didn't think any disaster could come on them. And they don't like what Micah's preaching. And remember when uh, Jerusalem was about to fall? Later on, 120 years later, there was a prophet named, what was that guy's name, Jeremiah? Remember him? And he was preaching that. Destruction's coming, and they didn't like it. They threw him in a pit. They wanted to kill him, didn't they? Well, nobody doesn't say anybody's wanting to kill uh, Micah here, but they don't like what he's saying. But in Jeremiah, they did they did talk about Micah because he's, 
It's, they were going to kill Jeremiah, and certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke and assembled the people and said, Hey, Micah, they mentioned Micah 120 years earlier, said he prophesied in the days of Hezekiah and told him, you know, <clears throat> what was going to disaster was coming. Did they kill Micah? No. But Hezekiah paid attention to him. And we see that Hezekiah was a good king. He, even though Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, was so evil and bad, Hezekiah paid attention to the preaching of Micah. And he, and he did what he was supposed to do. So, you know, we know that, you know, they're saying don't, don't preach this. But Micah did, he preached what God gave him. And we know that people don't like hearing the hard truth. Uh, God's got a righteous rule over our lives. And Micah stated in uh, verse 7, chapter 2, it says, Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. And that's what happened to uh, Hezekiah. It did him good. He listened. Sorry, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the reading. I was going to have you all read a lot of these verses, but I'm just cutting so short on time. Verse 11, a man should go about and utter winds and lies saying I will preach of wine and strong drink. He would be a preacher for this people. They don't want to hear the bad news. They just want to hear good stuff. Yeah, Second Timothy uh, 4, Paul told Timothy that people would turn away from the truth and accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that's been the, from the beginning to today and to come. People just want to hear good stuff. Chapter 3, and keep moving. Uh, talks about, in verse 3, it says, it says, they call to hear, and he's talking about the leaders of Israel. They corrupt justice. They hate the good. They love evil. And like cannibals, devouring people. You can read verse 3 for yourself there and see the language. It's pretty rough. And then, uh, as I said in verse 8, uh, he, Micah says, he is filled with power from the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, because the the part of that chapter there is uh, decrying the other prophets, the false prophets, and said they won't get any answer from God. Uh, what do I have? Oh, here we are. Now we're up to my slide. Hear this, you, in verses uh, 9 through 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests for, teach for a price, prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? How foolish. Let's don't be those fools. You know, Jerusalem was finally ransacked and taken captive in uh, yeah, 586 B.C. All right, chapter 4. We've heard the indictments from God against Israel and Judah. Chapter 4 and 5. Got that long-range telescope. Uh, here we go, Micah 4. I can't read my slide, my slide there. Three, okay. And actually on the slide is actually a quote from Isaiah 2, 4. It's the same same thing. If you read, as you're reading there, Micah, the first five verses, it talks about the latter days. And the rest of chapter 4, he poetically gives a promise of God's redeeming his people. In 4.10 he says, Writhe in agony, daughter of Zion. 
like a woman in labor. For now we must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. So in one sentence he talks about being taken captive, going into captivity, being in captivity and coming back. Moving on, chapter 5. We're going to hit another uh, popular verse here. Micah 5, 2. Did somebody read that? And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen. And we, we, we remember that from uh, Matthew, right? When the, uh, wise, the wise men came looking for the Savior and came to Herod and, and he inquired as to where the Christ would be born. They quoted Micah. Micah's the only prophet to, to mention where the Christ was to be born. All right. The uh, rest of, going to summarize the rest of the chapter there. Uh, we, uh, unfortunately, running on time. Uh, you, you can read it, but basically, talking about the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom, where Christ is going to come and be the king. Their king's taken away. Zedekiah was it Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, when they went captive into Babylon. They struck him on. The, they struck him. Anyhow, they're, they're going to be without a king. But the king is yet to come, the king of kings, lord of lords. And the Messiah, he's going to be a the king and succeed where all these other kings failed. Chapter 6, another call. Hear what the Lord says. He's got an indictment, okay? And here he gives testimony. Uh, they broke covenant, but God was faithful to his covenant. He says, what have, in verses 3 through 5, says, What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And then he talks about what he's done for him. I was going to go over each of these, but we're out of time. Uh, but you, you can read there what God has done. He reminds us of his faithfulness uh, to Israel. So, where? Get my slide. Okay, let's read this together. He has told you, old man. justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Okay, that's exactly what they weren't doing. The leaders were supposed to be the enactors of justice, and they were the ones committing the biggest atrocity, and people following along. All right. Mainder of chapter 6 just describes God's justice and talks about how things can be taken away, you know, in their sin. They're not going to enjoy their sin. You know, there's no satisfaction in their sin. Chapter 7, the final chapter. We find Micah in distress. He interjects himself because in verse 2, there's no one upright among mankind. All the godly, doesn't seem like there's any godly people around. So what do we know from, he says there's no uh, one upright among mankind. What does Paul tell us in Romans uh, Three twenty-three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Alright. Now let's see. There's another another uh, Mike is quoted again, verses six and seven. Talks about division in the family. Jesus himself says that when he's uh, pointing his apostles, commissioning them, letting them know that 
you know, don't, don't trust in your family and friends. You know, trust in the Lord, God only. Follow him. You know, you've got to love uh, Christ more than your family even. And verses 8 through 17, a poetic illustration of how God shepherds his people. I'm just going to uh, skip through some of it. But it says, I've sinned against him. It says, he pleads my cause. He will bring me out to the light. I look upon his vindication. Okay, and then talks about how the enemies uh, will be put to shame. So we've seen in the, I'm going to wrap up and we'll have a review. And then any, hopefully I have time for some questions. But we've seen in the book of Micah, by God's indictment of Israel, that we can't stand before a holy and just God in our unrighteousness. Um, there's consequences. I know that all have sinned. What, Paul again in Romans 6.23, what does he say? Wages of sin is death. There's a due penalty. Okay. I've got another quote. This quote is from the Ashbury Bible Commentary. It says, Only as Micah looked to God did he find comfort and hope for his people. As light at the end of a dark tunnel, the prophet saw that God was utterly faithful. In the day when Zion's glory will be restored, when captivity is ended, when people from all parts of the earth will turn to God in fear, then and only then will Micah's shout of praise be understood. Micah ends, like I said, with hope. So the greatest hope... Uh, and probably in scripture that we see are a good a good part of it. And I want us to read this all together too. Because this this is our our declaration. So read with me. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So we see God's character. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Romans ten thirteen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do, uh, can we run the summary? I've got a, a Bible project summary. It's seven minutes. Take us about to our time. This is a, as a review. We'll watch this summary. But Micah displays the sovereign holiness of God. This is a, your your outline, I think, or your handout. Sovereign holiness of God exposes the sinfulness of man, announces the promised Messiah, and states the requirement to obey. That's what the book of Micah is all about. Any, uh, of the prophet Micah. Here we go. Micah lived in a small town named Moreshet in the southern kingdom of Judah, about the same time as Isaiah. And both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel had split long ago, and both had been violating their covenant with the God of Israel. So Micah warned that God would bring the big bad empire of Assyria to take out the northern kingdom and come ravage Jerusalem. And he also warned that after them, Babylon would bring an even greater destruction. Like all the prophets, Micah spoke on God's behalf to accuse Israel. Or as he puts it in chapter 3, I am filled with strength. 
with the Spirit of God, with justice and power, to declare how Israel has rebelled. And so, most of this book explores Micah's accusations and his warnings of God's judgment on Israel. But Micah also had a message of hope that countered these warnings about the restoration God would bring on the other side of his judgment. And if you dive into the book with us, you'll see how this works. So the first two sections of the book develop Micah's accusations and warnings against Israel and its leaders. So part one opens with the poetic description of God appearing over Israel, just like he did at Mount Sinai. There's fire and smoke and earthquake, but he hasn't come to make a covenant this time. He's come to bring his judgment on Israel for over 500 years of rebellion. Michael goes on to name all of these towns and cities in Israel that are the culprits of all of this rebellion. God's coming for them. But why exactly? So Micah picks a fight with Israel's leaders. He says that they've become wealthy through theft and greed. He alludes to the story of Ahab stealing a family vineyard from Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. But also it's because Israel's prophets are corrupt. They're quite happy to offer promises of God's protection to anyone who can afford to pay them. No, Micah says, God has withdrawn his protection from Israel. In the second section of accusations, Micah describes even more how Israel's leaders and prophets have together committed grave injustice. They run the land through bribery, they bend justice to favor the wealthy, and the poor are deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all of this is a violation of the laws of the Torah, which declare it illegal to sell land that belongs to families, even if they're poor. And so we find out that God's judgment is going to take the form of an oppressive nation that comes to take out the northern kingdom and Jerusalem and its temple, which will be reduced to ruins. Now these are very stiff warnings, and they're not the final word. Each of these warning sections is concluded with a striking promise of hope. So first is a poem about how God is like a shepherd who's going to rescue and regather his flock, which is the remnant of his people, and he's going to bring them all back to good pasture and become their king once more. The second warning section is concluded by picking up this image of the ruined Jerusalem temple. And Micah says this won't be permanent. One day God is going to exalt his temple. He's going to fill it with his presence and fill the city with the remnant of his people. And so God's purpose is to make Israel the meeting place of heaven and earth so that all nations will stream to Jerusalem where God becomes the king of all the nations, bringing peace to the earth. Now these two concluding poems of hope, they're very powerful. And the next section of the book actually develops them further in a beautifully designed series of poems that are entirely about the future hope of Israel and the nations. So we learn that after the Assyrian attack, Israel will be conquered and exiled to Babylon. But from there, God will restore his people and bring them back to their land. And then we learn that in the new Jerusalem, a new messianic king from the line of David will come. He'll be born in Bethlehem and then rule in Jerusalem over the restored people of God. Finally, in this messianic kingdom of God, the faithful remnant of God's people will become that blessing among the nations. But at the same time, God will bring his final justice and remove evil from his world. The final section of the book returns to this pattern of warning followed by hope that we saw in the first parts of the book. So Micah exposes again the unjust economic practices of Israel's leaders and how it's destroying the land and its people. And here Micah offers his famous words that summarize what it means for Israel to follow their God. 
He has told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is exactly what Israel has not been doing, and so they will come to ruin. However, the book ends with another powerful note of hope. Israel is personified as an individual who is sitting alone in shame and defeat. It's a clear image of Israel's destruction and exile. And this individual is watching for God's mercy, and he begs God to listen and forgive. But why? Why should God listen to and forgive this faithless and rebellious people? Well, the poet offers two reasons. First, he says, because of God's character. Who is a God like you, who forgives sin and pardons rebellion? He knows that God's mercy is more powerful than his anger or his judgment. And the second reason is because of God's promises. He says, you will stay true to Jacob and show covenant love to Abraham as you swore so long ago. Now, these are the final words of the book. They're an allusion to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family all the way back in the book of Genesis, that all nations would find God's blessing through Abraham's family. But to become a blessing to the nations, Israel must first be faithful to their God. And so this explains this back and forth between judgment and hope in the book of Micah. If God's going to bless the nations through Israel, then he must confront and judge the evil among his people. But his judgment is what leads to hope. Because God's covenant love and promise are more powerful than human evil, and his ultimate purpose is not to destroy, it's to save and redeem. Or as the concluding lines of the book put it, God delights in covenant love, so he will again show compassion. He will trample our evil. He will toss our sins into the depths of the sea. And that's what the book of Micah is all about. All right. You're all probably wondering, why did I talk for 45 minutes? We could have just showed this and got it done in seven minutes. But, uh, so... Uh, yeah, we don't really have time for questions right now. If you've got questions, the short prophetic book is a collection. Hang on, mess it. Next week, the ancient empire of the sea. All right. So, um, like I said, questions, comments. If you wrote them down, hopefully everybody was able to read through Micah. What during this class? Because there was plenty of time. So hopefully you read every every word of it. Uh, I got a slide, but worship time in the auditorium is going to begin at 10:10. Got about 15 minutes to get refreshed and get in there. And next week, Dave's going to bring Nahum.